let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions, and we are diving straight into the beers this week because you and I, mate, are on the continent drinking Belgians, aren't we? We are. We've, got, we've gone full-on belgian today. I think they're quite accessible belgian beers, though, if I recall correctly, though. They, they are. They're, they're ones kind of at the easiest to get hold of in end of the scale. But we are not alone. Uh, we are joined by another guest drinker this week. So welcome to Opinions, the beer angler, Johnny Tyson. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you. Yourself? Pretty good, thanks. Well, better now I've got a beer in front of me. Excellent. So what, what have you got in front of you, mate, before we get on, on to our beers? What, what are you enjoying? For well, I'm enjoying, um, I've sort of saved this particularly because I've heard you mention it so many times uh, from my mix pack, which is the Thornbridge Firestone Walker Pondera. Great beer. Um, Great so, beer. So I got a sort of mixed pack of Thornbridge and I just thought I'm not going to have that one in the afternoon. I thought I'll save that and have it, uh, have it while we're having a chat because I know, I know, you guys are sort of fans of that one particularly. But I had a nice, a load of other nice, uh, good Thornbridge beers in the pack. So look forward to hearing what you think of that as we go through the show. And Mark, Martin, what have you got in, in your glass? What's your first beer this evening? I've gone for what I think is probably one of my first belgian beer experiences, a bottle of Lefe Blonde. In a similar sort of vein, I've gone for a blonde as well. I've got uh, Le Chouf, um, which is uh, an 8%. Belgian <laughs> blonde beer, so start starting nice and easy uh, tonight. Should, should, should we should we dive in because I'm I'm quite thirsty. So cheers, everyone. Cheers, cheers. Okay, let's get some thoughts on what we've got. Johnny, is the Pondera everything that you you hoped it would be? I think it is. Um, I I'm I think a bit like yourselves. I think I love I love West Coast IP. I love sort of classic American IPAs, whether they be West Coast or otherwise. Um, just because that's the sort of era that I got into craft beer. And, and I've sort of missed, I've missed having them as one of my sort of regulars. And I think this feels like an absolutely sort of, a sort of classic, a bit more tropical than perhaps it uh, would have been back in the day. Um, but really, really good, really well balanced, a nice level of good level of bitterness, which I do appreciate in, in an IPA. I think that's sort of thing I miss sometimes with the, with the New England hazy styles is not quite, not quite bitter enough for me, but it's good, very good so far. Excellent. I think I think that's something that uh, a lot of people have commented on recently, isn't it? That the that the availability of West Coast IPAs and and also the fact that people are now beginning to miss that bitterness. Um, you know, we're almost not. I, I don't think by a long shot we're we're over the juice craze. I think that's very much here to stay. But I think it's it's great to see that there's more balance coming back in in terms of the availability of. You, you can either go East Coast or West Coast now. Yeah, I think so. Um, as much as I, I do quite like the sort of juicy IPAs, but I'm not crazy about them. I do get a bit tired. I like one every now and then, and it's really nice, but it's not something I can drink an awful lot of. I'm sure other people are totally different because it is, it is quite juicy and not very bitter and quite easy going. But I do sort of feel it lacks a sort of beery quality about it. When I have a beer, I want to sort of feel like I'm drinking a beer rather than something that feels like a sort of guava juice or something that happens to be alcoholic. That's slightly kind of mean to some of them, because some of them are really well made. Um, but I do like to sort of feel I'm having a proper beer um, over the course of the evening or whatever. And a uh, West Coast IPA really does really does do that. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the Pondera, I think you're right. It's probably that little bit juicier than perhaps it would have been when we first, uh, let's say 10 years ago, when we were all starting to discover 
some of those beers from the from the uh, the other side of the pond. But um, I think it's definitely up there in my top three West Coast style beers this year. I would say. Yeah, I think that sort of slight tropical note gives a sort of a nod to the more modern hops, but still the profile and the balance is is that sort of classic West Coast style. Uh, and for that reason, I think it works brilliantly well for this day and age because it gives you pretty much the best of both worlds. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Steve, how are you finding your Le Chouf? It's, uh, it's Belgian-y, for, for, for sure. Um, I'm, getting, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting in early with, with that one. Um, it's kind of got that, that, that sweet, honey sweetness uh, initially. Um, loads of carbonation in there, so it's really, it's really quite refreshing. Um, but then it's got kind of... Um, a bit of a, a bit of a spicy sort of warming finish to it, um, and and that really gives it a different dimension as as, as you get to the end of it. it. It it really, I think one thing that it does, it really heightens the alcohol at that point as well. So you take your first sip and you're like, oh, this is nice, this is really refreshing, and then you get to that big warming hit at the finish and you're like, whoa, yeah, I know, I know what I'm drinking here. But no, it's uh, I think this is possibly the first time I've had this. Um, oh really? Uh, wow. Yeah, and, and and I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I think I've got a 750 bottle in the, uh, in the in the in the beer cupboard, just waiting for the right moment to crack it open. I'm a big fan of the shoe, so I have to admit. And I, but I get what you're saying; it does hide its ABV to start off with. But the more you get into it, the more you think, okay, there, there's something going on here. It does have a nice peppery finish. I find it's like a, a it's from the yeast fermentation. A little bit of like pepper note on the finish, which I absolutely love, and I love that beer with with food i think it's a great beer to have with something sort of quite hearty sort of sausagey pork those kind of things it works incredibly well it was one of the first sort of belgian beers i had after sort of the after left to be honest it was one of the ones we sold in a shop i used to work in years and years ago and absolutely just it blew my mind at how easy it was to drink at that at that alcohol level this was sort of you know sort of towards the end of the 90s so it was i was sort of not drinking very strong beers at that time and I thought Le Chouf, I think it just hides its alcohol, beautiful profile, lovely sort of peppery warming finish. Uh, absolutely. I, I completely agree with, with what you're saying on all of that. And, and that also gives us a lovely segue into asking Martin about his beer as well. <laughs> how's, how's the left doing, mate? It's been a while since I've had it, to be honest. And um, it was probably one of my, to coin a phrase we've used in the past, a bit of a gateway Belgian beer for me, I think because of its ex- accessibility. It still drinks quite smooth, for a six and a half percent beer i reckon belgian beers were definitely also my gateway to higher strength beers there's definitely a little bit of honey sweetness on this beer as well but it's a very smooth there is, i don't think you get any of that uh there's none of that peppery finish you refer to in your beer steve at the back end of it it is just very smooth a little bit sweet and it is one you can just drink uh drink cold drink chilled but it would creep up on you at six and a half percent yeah i think i think it's one of those that you, you know just occasionally you, you do come you, you do find yourself coming back to time and time again isn't it i think as you say it's a it's a perfect example of a gateway beer to a style yeah definitely well while we're enjoying these first beers um let's have a bit of a chat to you johnny um welcome back to opinions uh, our older listeners maybe will remember that you were on a very very early episode of opinions in fact you were on two episodes you were on the two-part show that we did about goose island um 
drinking some of the amazing beers that yourself and Josh shared with us on, on, on that occasion. Um, so, but for those people that maybe haven't come across you before or your work, do you want to give us a, a, a little bit of a, a potted history in, in, in terms of the beer wrangler and how you've got to where you are now? Yeah, well, I sort of started life um, when I finished university. I got a job, kind of a sort of in between a job in in an odd bins when odd bins was uh, sort of throughout the country. There are two or three hundred uh, shops uh, in the sort of late nineties, and odd bins is one of the few places that sold a good range of Belgian beers, including Latuf. In you know, in the sort of ninety seven, I think I probably ninety six, ninety seven. I think I worked there. I I ran, well, I assisted managed the, the the store that's actually near me now in Fulham, Fulham Broadway. And I really sort of got to grips with interesting Belgian beers and I really sort of got excited by them. But we also sold some early, what we were calling then American microbrews. So before the term craft beer was, was more widespread and we sold sort of things like Pete's Wicked Ale um, and these sort of brand new generation of American beers. Because growing up, American beer was Budweiser, it was Coors or Miller, things like that. Um, and for us, sort of not massively interesting. I was sort of brought up with with Carscale. My dad was a Carscale fan. Um, and getting these Belgian beers and then getting these new American beers over from the States really to show what um, what small brewers could do was really exciting. And I think that sort of that was the germ of my interest in the beer world, other than just the general interest in beer that, you know, young young guys will have. The, I then sort of had a sort of different career for a while in television, but then I moved um, to Canada um, in 2007 and I ended up sort of back working, uh, running shops and working in pubs and things like that. I'd worked in pubs in the UK. I was clearing up glasses and cleaning from the age of 16 onwards. So I kind of lived and breathed pubs. Um, but here I was, the craft beer revolution was, was in full kind of swing. Um, lots of amazing local Canadian beers, lots of amazing American beers and running shops, beer and wine shops, where we had, you know, over a thousand different beers in walk-in coolers and very quickly ended up becoming the buyer for both beer and wine and uh, doing lots and lots of education on beer and wine and sort of going through that journey of trying to learn more and find out more about all these amazing different beers and different styles, often old styles that American brewers were, were kind of reinventing and restarting like porter and brown ales and stuff that perhaps I hadn't drunk in the UK because I hadn't, apart from Newcastle brown ale, there wasn't a huge amount of other beers other than bitter and lager um, readily available. So that was, that really got me going and the enthusiasm and the passion that the locals had in Vancouver on the West coast you know, BC is a traditional hop growing region, not so much now, but it certainly had that uh, history. And you start seeing a lot of those West Coast IPAs very, very popular there. Um, and, and sort of moved on from there and working in pubs, ran a craft beer bar and restaurant, um, was a buyer for a few stores, which had a thousand plus beers. And it was a fantastic time. I had a huge amount of fun and learned a massive amount about beer. And that was really the start. And I started training people basically, because I love learning and uh, started on my sort of Cicerone journey, um, uh, doing my certified beer server, which is the sort of level one of the Cicerone program. Uh, and, then, and then sort of starting to learn about becoming a certified Cicerone, which I took the exam just before I left Vancouver. And I failed the tasting portion by one point. So I had to retake it when I moved back to the UK in, in 2013 or something. And, uh, and then carried on there. And I've always been sort of keen to teach people. So I ended up with work, was part of my work was, was informing and teaching people. 
So that's that sort of the teaching journey sort of started. But you, you guys sort of met me when I was, I'd sort of moved on. I'd done my certified Cicerone and BS sommelier. And I was, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a wine tutor as well. So I'm a WSCT wine educator um, instructor as well. So, and you guys met me, I'd been hired by Goose Island essentially with other brands as well to be their head of education, develop beer education plans for, for Europe. And it was a huge change in my life. I only ever worked for small pubs and small companies and then working for um, a company owned by AB InBev as one of the largest, you know, the largest brewer in the world was a pretty, pretty sort of tumultuous step to make from someone who's always worked for small independent companies. But it was just such an amazing opportunity. Um, I could not turn it down because I thought, you know, if I hate it and I don't like it, then I'll leave. It's quite simple. But I can go along, see what it's all about. And, you know, as far as I knew at the time, there was no such job as a beer ed, full-time beer educator paid for by a brewery to be, you are a full-time beer educator. That is the only thing you need to worry about doing. So that, I just thought, that's got to be worth a try. And as you guys know, you know, I think a lot of people don't, who don't like the big brewers um, forget, as you get a little bit older with children and things like that, and you have, you know, to turn down a sort of a reasonably well-paid job doing something you love is a pretty tough thing to do. Probably a lot easier when you're 23 and you don't have quite so many uh, things to uh, to worry about. You've recently started doing a podcast as well. I have uh, the the A to Z. A to Z. Um, you've got stuck on a letter recently. Not luck in the letter. Yeah, it's probably bad education. Don't know my alphabet. <laughs> Uh, yes, I yeah, it was a bit of a sort of a thing I've been meaning to do. Um, I run a beer and wine school. It's my company I share with uh, with somebody else um, at South London Wine School, and it's a sort of franchise that we do. I do all the sort of beer education um, as well, and it's just been it's been sort of very problematic. So I basically thought, well, I've been meaning to start a start a podcast, so I'm going to do that, and. About three or four weeks ago, things just have been getting very difficult with work and lots of sort of, you know, lockdown related stresses that I'm sure lots of self-employed and sort of one man band businesses are suffering. And it, I've, I've had to sort of step away from it temporarily. Um, I did step away on, on, a, on a letter which I found difficult to write because I'm the only person on it. I write it as a script pretty much because I started by not doing that. And the first things that I, I tried to record weren't very good. So I thought... I'll ditch those and I'm going to write it as a script and things that I feel I need to do more research and uh, a little bit more that I haven't really had time to write the full script for a 20 minute, half an hour podcast. Um, some things I just know and I can just write and write and write and I'll get it done. But it, E is for extreme beers and it requires, and I have done a lot of research on different extreme beers and what people think about different extreme beers. And I just wasn't really happy with it. Um, so I have, I have, uh, paused a bit on it, but I will, I will get back to it. I've just had a lot of work to do trying to sort of rescue a semblance of a business in the last month, which uh, has been quite difficult. So it's been very challenging as I'm sure lots of people out there uh, are finding as well. Oh, but like you say, I'm sure you're not the only person to, uh, as a self-employed, uh, one man band or even two man band, two person band has been suffering. But what I will say is the first four episodes, A to D thoroughly enjoyed them johnny especially as it is just effectively a monologue uh, it's still a very enjoyable monologue and unlike a lot of what steve and i do you actually throw in quite a lot of facts as well so you know it's always it's always good to learn well i do like i love education i am a i am a beer and wine teacher so i like you know i thought i'm going to do that element i didn't want to just do a version of of 
of things that you guys are doing and your experiences and opinions on things because you guys do it very well and there's other people that do it very well. I want to do something that that is that's, that I can do, which is maybe a little bit different. So a little bit of education and because it's a monologue, it's got to be short. I don't, you know, I don't think I could, I could do for, go for an hour, you know, and still keep people listening with interest. So I figured, I thought I'm pitching it at sort of that 20 minutes to half an hour sort of, sort of mark where people could, could listen to it and pretty, you know, in a short time where they have to travel from A to B, go for a walk, go for, go for a run. Some people listen to podcasts, running, things like that. So I thought that that would be sort of a better, a better time for me to be able to sort of fill in and do something a little bit more educated, but not too, not too deep. And that's the thing that I have to stop with. I have to sort of stop myself being too kind of academic about beer. I don't want to drive everyone away and ruin the fun of what essentially is a really fun thing to, to drink and talk about and think about. Well, so far, like I said, the first four episodes, I think you've struck a really good balance between uh, facts and fun. So well done. Look forward to when E and F come out. Thank and, you. Uh, hope you carry on all the way through the series. I'm very much looking forward to, to hearing the next shows as well. And what we'll do is we'll put um, a link in the show notes to, to, to the podcast. So, so any of our listeners that haven't yet got round to, to, to giving it a listen, we'd suggest they give that a go. And like, like I say, it is very educational uh, and it is very, I've got a very short attention span and, and it kind of keeps my attention for, for, for the amount of time that the shows that you've done so far run. So I think if, if somebody wants to learn quickly, it's a great way to do it. Moving on to this week's news, and there's really only one thing to talk about, and, and that is the fact that as of the day of recording today, which is Sunday, uh, the pubs opened up uh, again yesterday. Um, and I'm sure we've all got our, our thoughts on, on, on this in, in, in particular. Um, I've got to say, from, from, from what I saw in, in my Twitter feed, it's not what I expected to see, actually. I, what I seemed to see was a lot of uh, very responsible um, setups, people giving a lot of praise for, for what they was experiencing. And, and, and maybe with the exception of, of some of the scenes that we saw last night in Soho, um, generally people abiding by the, the, the guidelines that have been set out. Um, that's fairly much what I've seen as well. So, what, you know, we're <clears throat> 24 to 36 hours since pubs opened as time of recording. Everything I've seen so far has been very much more of the positive nature. Like I said, I think if we take Soho out of the picture from Soho very late on, uh, on Saturday night, early Sunday morning, out of the equation. And I think there were some similar pictures um, in and around Dublin. Let's take those out of the equation. If we're talking about the average, a lot of average pubs, bottle shops, tap rooms, all of what I saw was a very positive experience, both uh, from a staff point of view and a customer point of view. Um, I think one of the few things I did see that was a bit annoying was someone tweeting about uh, bookings being made and people not turning up, which I think we may have touched upon last week, Steve. Yeah, we did. That basically, that's someone, that's a group who've made multiple bookings. And then they've gone for the one which is the most popular and gone to that place and not bothered to cancel the other ones. I was going to say, as someone who's run bars and restaurants, it's, it's, the number one, it's the number one issue. You know, you want to have people in. You want to have, you know, people that might not turn up on time, they tell you. But people just booking three things and choosing at the last minute shows such an utter disrespect for these businesses, which are struggling like anything at the moment. And if you make a booking, you can't make it. Just It's a simple phone call just so they can free that table, especially at the moment where you've got to have tables and bookings and things like that are more important. 
it's a different, it's a slightly different world. We have to be a bit more respectful of pubs. We have to treat a pub a bit more like a restaurant, essentially, if you're booking tables. And if you can't make it, let them know. And then someone else can get that table. It's so simple. I completely agree. And to be honest, I've always, uh, even with restaurants in days gone by, uh, especially now, most of them, you can actually, there's a cancel button. But that was really the only main negative I saw, to be honest. What was your, what was your experience in London, Johnny, that you saw or heard? Well, in slightly sort of the sleepier end of southwest London, where I am, I sort of just, I'm in Southfields, so it's quite near Wandsworth and Wimbledon around that kind of area. Um, I've got two kids, so I wasn't going to go out in the evening and sort of go and get hammered or anything. So we went for, went for a walk in the afternoon. I passed a few pubs. I wanted to sort of check out some of the pubs that I go to, uh, what they were like. They were all as used. One was closed. Actually, one of my regular places was closed anyway. Uh, decided not to open yesterday. Um, one was very quiet. They've got a big beer garden. They've got a big spacious pub, and it's one which are, it's not really on a on a thoroughfare uh, where people can just sort of drop in. You have to sort of want to go there. But I thought that'd be an ideal pub to go to because it's really big, high ceilings, big, spacious, nice, big, spacious beer garden. And that was pretty much. I walked past there at about sort of two or three in the afternoon, and it was completely empty. And I was amazed. There's about three people in it. And then I went to, uh, and then we stopped at a place called Merton Abbey Mills, which is like a, it's got like a little market and it's got two pubs which have outdoor space uh, and they've got indoors as well. So I thought we'd check both of those out and have a look. We, we all drank outdoors um, just because I've got the two kids and everything. It makes life a little bit easier under certain circumstances. But I went into the pubs, had a chat with the staff and everything looked very, very good and very kind of respectful. People were, were, were standing apart and they weren't at the bar, they were at tables. And, and I asked the staff how it was going. They said, yeah, absolutely no problem at all. I, I didn't see any, anybody causing any problems. I saw everybody being really sensible, enjoying a nice few beers, which is exactly what you want. That's what a pub's really about. I agree with that. And, um, but Steve, you, you took our research to a different level, didn't you? You, you popped in today. I, I did. So despite my um, many public statements, that I won't be going anywhere near a pub until September. Uh, I found myself in one this afternoon. Um, on, the, on the 5th of July? On the, yeah, 24 <laughs> hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and the thing is, it's, it's quite interesting because I think one of, one of the things that, that came up when we were discussing this last week were, 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 were people saying that having to, to pre-book and these new restrictions and everything is going to somewhat take away the spontaneity of going into the pub. Now, we, we didn't plan to go to the pub today. We were just walking into town to, to pick up a few bits. We happened to walk past one of Sorry, the Sorry, just, just to be clear, when, when Steve's talking about we, he's talking about him and his partner, Emma, no, rather no, than Steve and myself. Yes, okay. yes, yeah, yeah, sorry. Sometimes, sometimes we do stuff separately, just, <laughs> just for the benefit of listeners out there. <laughs> yes, it's not. It's not always the royal we. <laughs> um, but yeah, so when um, past one of the pubs that has reopened in town, I mean, my my, my town of, of Whitham's got there. There are probably about seven pubs in in the town centre, and I'd say only about half of those are open. Um, the, the White Hart being one of them, which is um, one of the oldest pubs in town. Uh, it does serve a, a decent range of, of cask beer in there as well, even though it is uh, under Green King uh, ownership. Um, so we, we walked past it. It looked fairly empty and we said, let's give it a go now. Um, I, I'd say my, my first impressions were the, the initial experience of going in was a little bit confusing because the sign on the door said, uh, please call this telephone number if you, if you haven't booked to see if we've got space available. 
Um, but a quick conversation from the doorway to the bar ascertained that there was space available and we just had to walk around to, to what they've got like a reception area in, in, in the pub. So we, we walked around, but then we had to walk through the bar past the tables where people were sat and past the actual bar itself. So we walked around, um, we, were, we were greeted at a, a station. Um, we were asked for basic details. So name, telephone number, that, that was all we were asked for. Um, and then we were asked if we had pre-booked or not. And, and when we said no, and, and said, do you have a table available? She was like, yes. And then interestingly, she said, how long would you like to stay for? Which is obviously something that you're not used to being asked in, in, in a pub. So we said, oh, we, we're just going to stay for a couple. So she said, oh, well, I'll, I'll put you down until two, two o'clock. So we were, we were then shown to our table, which was outside, because it's been a lovely day today. And, and we, we wanted to sit outside in, in, in the sun anyway. Uh, we were told that there would be a server come to the table, um no menus on the table servers had all the details you just had to speak to them about it that's that's what happened we, we then had a server they'd come they'd ask us for our order they'd go away they'd take they'd bring the the, the drinks back we'd pay contactless interestingly and, and this is one one of the points that, that that emma made while we was in there was that um we, we were served by on we, we ended up having three pints and, and we extended our stay by an hour as well which we were allowed to do but on each occasion, a different server brought our drinks to the table. So we had, we had one server take our order, and then we had three different servers bring drinks to the table. And each of those servers did it in a different way. So one of them brought the tray to the table, put the tray on the table and said, can you take your drinks off so I can take the tray away so I don't have to touch your drinks? The other two put the tray on the table, picked the drinks up and put them on the table. And, and the point that, that M made was the ones that picked the drinks up that's probably the third person to have touched that glass since it's come out of the dishwasher. So you've had the person that's emptied the dishwasher, you've had the person that's poured the pint, and then you've had the server. So you've, you've actually got those three points of contact before that pint actually gets into your hands, which was, which was the only kind of questionable thing. But, you know, I think, and a lot of people have said this, we've got to be patient at the moment because this is quite possibly some of those, some of those people working today, it might be their first shift back in three it might months. Be their, it might be their first shift ever. Yeah. So some they're, they're learning a, a new system. There was a, a process of when it was time to leave, we were asked to take our glasses to a collection point and to inform the pub that we were leaving so that they could come to our table, they could clear the table and they could tick off that we had left. So they had that space open uh, again. Now, the, the thing that wound me up with that was that in the time that we were there, I'd say about 100% of people who left their tables just got up, left their glasses and walked out. Um, somebody did go back in to say they were leaving, but they still left their glasses on the table, even though they were walking past the glass collection point on their way out because it it was a one-way system and and i was i was like, i looked at it and i was like you know you're just creating them more work now because now now you've got to have a server come and take those glasses away and that person's then got to come back to the table to clean it they've got to come back and do their job a second time and you're going past the collection point take the glasses with you they're going to be the same people who leave their stuff at mcdonald's as well aren't they yeah absolutely and although mcdonald's uh have um all fast food places have created that as a an efficiency and cost saving point the pub you're at haven't but how was the actual experience so 
you've you've detailed the uh, logistics. How was the experience, Steve? I, you know what I'd say, with with the exception of the table service, it was probably no different from if I had sat there in the in in that beer garden last summer, in, in enjoying a couple of pints on a sunny Sunday afternoon. In, interestingly, one of the, the things that we did see happen as well, and again, I think this is just people getting used to a new way of doing things, is is that there was a that, that there was a group that that was sat um, quite close to us who they, they were on a table. And, and when the sun moved and that table then went into the shade, the six of them got up and moved to the next table that was in the sun. And so then one of them had to go in and, and say, oh, we've moved. And then a member of staff came out and cleared, cleaned the table. And I just think, I think people need to have a little bit more awareness of, of, the, of the tiniest of their actions is actually going to be creating quite a lot of work for the, mm. the venues at the moment. And maybe just to be a little bit more mindful of things like that but again it's you know it's day it's day two as as we recalled and and people are still getting used to this we spoke to kind of briefly spoke to the the, the staff uh, at the pub and they were saying that yesterday when when they opened they had six visits from the police throughout the day just literally making sure that people were following the guidelines and you know Whitton's a small town and, and if, if only half of the seven pubs are open, that's, that's probably quite easy for, for, for the police to manage. Um, I'm not sure how easy that would be in larger cities or, or whether that's been replicated up and down the country that the police have actually, were they quite present yesterday in terms of going into, into pubs and, and essentially saying, are you following the guidelines? And, and you know, being very visual uh, about it. I was speaking to one of my brothers earlier, the one who doesn't live in Germany. Um, so I haven't got a German update. Apologies, listeners. Um, but uh, Brian lives in Milton Keynes and he, him and his uh, girlfriend booked a four-hour slot at um, one of the craftier venues in Milton Keynes. And um, his experience, oh, this was a Saturday evening, six till ten. And he said, uh, you know, you go in, on the way in, there's someone at the door explaining the protocol. Then it is very much arrows directing you around. They told you the table you're going to. Then you have you can use an app to get your drinks delivered to your table. Bit more of a limited menu than what they've experienced in the past. Uh, but one thing he did mention was that um, there was a couple of groups who had obviously booked separately, but had ended up quite close together in table table size and table wise, and um, the manager did come over and said to them, look, if you want to talk to each other, that's fine, but you can't move closer to each other. You can't direct your conversations towards each other. And if you do, I will have to ask you to leave. Again, credit where credit's due, but the manager did that. And yes, I have to admit, um, when I go back, actually, I think some of the things that I've heard and seen put in place over the last 36 hours, I'm actually thinking, do you know what? I'm actually quite looking forward to some of this not necessarily PPE and yellow and black markers around the place and sticky tape, that kind of stuff, but the respectful nature of customers and staff alike, table service, apps to order your drinks. I, I can definitely see some of those things sticking, I have to admit, even when, uh, if and when restrictions end completely and or a vaccine being discovered, I have to admit, I would say on the whole, it's been positive so far. The walk around I did locally, having a look in from the outside, places were open, people on the door, 
Uh, distances seem to be fairly decent. Uh, tables have been obviously moved around, outside tables as well. So yeah, I'm um, uh, what I've seen so far makes me think that um, I hadn't, unlike Steve, uh, suggested when I might go back. I was go back when I'm comfortable. But the initial experiences of people that I know and trust seems quite positive so far. Don't don't get me wrong. I think had we walked past today and it been a bit busier, or had there been a queue, I don't think we would have bothered. I, I think it was opportunistic that that there was space. It was quite empty, and and we were able to walk in and have quite a positive experience. It, it was a good experience, um, and it's it's one that. Has, has made me reconsider whether I'll, I'll hang on to go back to some of my favourite places. I think on every occasion, it's very much going to be, what is it like? And that will be what helps me make my decision. Is it, is it too busy? Does the system seem easy? That sort of thing. It, it will be a, a, a very much on the spur of the moment type decision. Excellent. That seems fairly positive so far, early days, but you know, anyone else who's got any experiences, let us know. We're yeah. always interested to hear. So while we've been um, chatting uh, about those experiences, I imagine everybody's drained their glass uh, yep. at, at the oh, same yeah. time. So, um, let's, <laughs> Long time ago. <laughs> let's, 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 get a, let's get a round of final thoughts on, on our, our initial beers. Johnny, um, any, any different views on the Pondera? Uh, yeah, only only that it's got better. I I think, I uh, I think this is one of the best beers I've had in a while. Actually, I think it's really really good. I just think the hop flavour is perfectly in balance with the body and the bitterness. It's exactly what I expect. It's what I what I want rather than what I expect. It's six point seven percent, which um, is not for me an easy alcohol level to. To, to make an easy drinking beer. I think a lot of some people do it, some people do it badly. And I think this has been done extremely well. I think it's very easy drinking. I knocked that back. I was looking at it, trying to not drink it. I was like, you know, thinking, do I have to sort of, should I keep a little bit left for, for the final thoughts? And I thought, no, sod it, I'm knocking it back. And I could have, I could have done with two of those cans. And those are, those are the sort of the tall boy, sort of full 40s, um, quite easy to drink. So lots of flavor, really good balance, good bitterness, and very drinkable at that, at that percentage. So gets good, good grades from me. Excellent. Martin, um, how was the left, mate? To be honest, I could, have, I could have probably done a couple of those the same as Johnny was talking about the Pondera there. Um, I've forgotten quite how drinkable left was, to be honest. Um, although it has got that sweetness, especially initially, uh, and you get maybe a bit of banana chew aroma as you go through it, it it's very consistent all the way through. Even when it starts to warm up a bit, it doesn't get cloying, doesn't get any more sweeter. It is very, very easy to drink. And I can see why people can eat, pick up a four-pack and will do a four-pack without really thinking about it. I, I could easily have done two in our first segment of the show, Steve. The, the Le Chouffe was uh, didn't really change from, from my initial thoughts on it. It, it, it had that, that Belgian sweet quality right at the beginning, all the way through to that spicy, peppery, warmy, boozy finish. Um, just an absolute delight to drink. And probably much like, like, like you guys, I could have, could have done a second one whether I'd be able to actually present the second half of the show if, if I'd, <laughs> I'd knocked back a, a second 8% beer um, is, is questionable. But we'll, we'll see, won't we? Because uh, I've just put my next beer in the glass and I'm stepping up to 9% this, this time. So, Yay! Uh, 
I'm I'm moving on, continuing on our Belgian theme. I am moving on to Chimay uh, Blue. So this is their Grand Reserve uh, for this year, 2020. Um, and that's about all I know about it. There's not a lot of information on the label. Uh, it's listed on Untapped as a Belgian strong dark owl. So we'll, we'll see what I think of that in, in a second. Um, Martin, what have you got for your second beer tonight? I've got the Trappist Rockfort uh, 8, which is... Uh, 9.2%. What else would you do on a Sunday evening, to be honest? Um, <laughs> very much looking forward to this. I am a big fan of this range, these range of beers anyway. And, and Johnny, what have you got for your second beer this evening? Well, I wanted to sort of, um, I wanted to have something which I've had before, but I, I love it. It's a very interesting beer. It's a good one um, for teaching people about beer because it's, it's from, it's a collaboration between my, my local brewery and my old employer. So it's Obadiah Poundage, uh, sort of Victorian porter from Wimbledon and Goose Island. Collaboration between those two breweries, Derek Prentice at Wimbledon and Mike Siegel, who's the innovation brewer at Goose Island, two people I, I know. And this is a collaboration with Ron Pattinson, who I'm sure you guys are familiar with, the beer historian, beer writer. Yeah. Um, to recreate a genuinely, you know, as far as we can tell, what would an English or London porter taste like from uh, sort of Victorian era London um, and going with a sort of genuine English porter recipe um, having some aged some fresh and blending it uh, and they had some special malts developed um, to make this so they use a brown malt um, which you can't sort of get anymore uh, so they, they engaged a maltster to to make a sort of what's called a diastatic brown malt which is a brown malt that has significant fermentables in it brown malt today is a roasted malt and it doesn't uh, have any sort of significant fermentables in it so um so it's made with pale malt um a, a copy of some old brown malt and black patent malt and they aged a third of it in sort of oak vats or fooders in chicago um and and blended that with a fresh the fresh beer as a sort of combination i can't wait to hear what you say about that because i've got one in the cupboard Great. So I, I was going to say exactly the same thing. I'm really looking forward to Johnny's thoughts because I've got one in the cupboard as well, which I'm just, just waiting to drink. Yeah, and I've, I haven't thought I have one of those things. When's the good time to, to drink it? So if we get some very positive feedback from you in the next uh, few minutes, then it could be coming towards the front of the cellar. Should we uh, ch uh, get into our beers then? Yeah, let's, let, let's dive in. Cheers. 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 So what do you think of the shimmy, Steve? It's really tasty, actually. It's um, less Belgian-y uh, at the moment. Um, there's some sort of dark chocolate notes going on on in there. Um, again, quite a warming, boozy finish to it, which you'd probably expect for the the, the, the nine percent that it that it sits at. Um, maybe a slightest hint of spice on the finish, but but other than that, just just really, really smooth, really, really easy to drink. It was quite. I was. Whenever I have Chimay Blue, it's always, I always think it's lighter bodied than it should be. You know, that 9%, it's that classic Belgian way of making beers that are what they call sort of digestible, which, you know, have that light body and easy drinking despite its ridiculously strong alcohol. And Chimay is a great example of that. They just, I drink that and you think there's absolutely no way that is 9% just because it's got that sort of easy ease going down. Oh, I would definitely agree with that. And I think the Trappist, is it the Trappist Rockfall I'm drinking, the number eight, isn't a great deal different to the Chimay. 
again, it's quite light of body. It's got a bit of a sweet maltiness to it at the start. Um, it hasn't really got any sort of a like peppery finish you described the shimmy, but it's got a very it's got a warming finish, but it's got a finish which still makes you want to come back for more, and deliciously drinkable for nine point two percent. What does the Obadiah poundage uh, taste like then? Let let Martin and I know whether whether we should be drinking this soon. Yeah, I think it's I think it's drinking sort of perfectly well now. I think it does have a fantastic balance uh, on the on the aromas. It does have a sort of a slight, almost like sort of cocoa powder and almost like caramel without the sweetness, the sort of smell of caramel without the sugar. If people can sort of separate the aroma from, from the taste. It does, there's a sort of the hint of, the, there's a sort of hint of herbaceousness and sort of slight earthiness to it as well. There is a little bit of acidity to it. It's a touch, it's a touch of that, but it's, but it's rounded out with the fresh beer in there as well. So it's got all those sort of combinations, it's got a hint of dried fruit as well. And uh, it just, it is ridiculously drinkable. It's 6.3%. While we're enjoying these beers, um, then let's dive into this week's question. Opinions, 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 opinions. Not so much of a uh, poll this week, but this was uh, a question that I randomly asked. Uh, at the beginning of June on, on Twitter that ended up getting a whole very, load... Very random, Steve. Very yeah, random. Ended up just getting a whole load of responses and I thought, well, actually, we could use this as content for the show. So the, the question I asked was, um, for folks who practice regular abstinence from beer as part of your drinking patterns, do you consider alcohol-free beers to be okay to drink during dry periods or is that still beer in your mind? Um, and, and I think... Uh, at the stage when I asked that, I was in I was in the middle of having a dry week myself, and I, it was a really warm day, and I was like, I wanted something, I wanted that cold, crisp, refreshing hit that sometimes you can only really get from from beer. And I had uh, some alcohol-free beers in, in in the fridge, and I I ended up not drinking one because I I did feel as though it was kind of cheating on myself because I was on a dry week, um, which in my mind means it, it's no beer, it's no alcohol. So that therefore even a low alcohol or a no alcohol beer to, to me was still a beer. Um, so that was, that was the question. And I guess that's my thoughts. That's, I've, I've gone in, I've gone in early with, with what I think, <laughs> what I think of it there. Um, so actually we might as well get all of our thoughts then, uh, before we, we, we take some of the feedback that, that we got. Um, Martin, I suspect that you're going to have a slightly different view, uh, to this one to me, because I know how you kind of use your alcohol free beers as well. Yeah, I, I don't treat it. I don't think of it as a um, breaking my dry spell, for example. So especially the last few weeks at work, um, it's been quite hectic. So my Monday to Thursday, for example, has been fairly much dry. But sometimes, like you said, Steve, sometimes the first quenching aspect of a, especially a can of beer, that carbonation, that that cold fizz, that crispness can only be achieved by having a beer, but can still be achieved by having a 0.5% or less beer, in my mind. And so I've got a variety of those. I've got Budvar Free, uh, Nanny State, Go Ship 0.5, 
and I've got Wild Wave decided from Adams at 0.5 as well. And I have to admit, the Wild Wave 0.5 is excellent. It's very hard to distinguish that one from the Wild Wave 5%. And I will have a, cup, a couple, maybe one or two, and sometimes it comes after a bike ride or a run. And it just goes down so well. But I still feel, okay, I haven't really had a beer. So I definitely see it as not breaking a dry spell. Johnny, your views on this one? Yeah, I, I'm sort of very much the same mind. I don't see it as cheating. I see it as something that is helping me through um, a period that, I, that, I'm, that I'm choosing to have as a dry period. I do spend a month a year not drinking. Um, you know, it may be a shock to people that a lifetime spent working in restaurants and bars and the drinks trade, that my liver could be in a better situation than it currently finds itself. <laughs> not, 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 not terrible, but it's just, you know, my doctor said, you know, you've, you've drunk a lot in your life and it's just, it adds up. But if you spend a month, a year not drinking, your liver gets time to draw breath and, and recover. And it means you can probably drink for the rest of your life. And that's, that's the kind of motivation that, that, that I needed. And so for the last six years, seven or seven years now, I have at least a month off a year. And if I didn't have alcohol-free beer, I could not do it. I don't think I could physically do it. I'm not that strong-willed. And I think alcohol-free beer is a million times better than it was millions, you know, whenever it was 20, 30 years ago, whenever Caliber was launched. You know, you guys are sort of similar age to me, sort of, you know, when Caliber was launched as the big alcohol-free beer. It's sort of all those, those kind of mainstream lager, alcohol-free lagers just tasted like water. But now we've got fantastic options and i think if you do like beer but you can't or don't want to drink alcohol for whatever reason you know and no one's going to be sort of casting aspersions if you choose not to have an alcohol-free week or an alcohol-free month but if you do have to or you do want to there are so many amazing options out there i think there's really well-made beers they're getting people are getting their malts their sort of grists right with different malts to maintain body and flavor so it's not too thin and watery um, you know, and obviously with the hopping levels and stuff for different styles, I think it offers a huge amount of flavor. You know, I'm really impressed, particularly Big Drop Citra Pale Ale, I think, has been one of my favorites recently. And I think I'm also still supporting breweries, you know, particularly if it's a sort of smaller independent brewery like Big Drop that's, uh, you know, and they're doing a really good job or Infinite Sessions, they people like that. They're, they're doing a good job at making alcohol-free beers. Well, it, it seems like I'm in the minority here on, on, on this week's show. Uh, let's see what some of the comments that we had back and, and, and see what people thought on this one. So first of all, from Graham Hughes, alcohol-free beer is something I've never given much thought to. I still remember Calibre, and I'm aware that there is much more choice and better standards these days. But when I do dry January, it's not just about health, but also to check I'm not becoming dependent on that weekend beer. From Simon Clark at Simon Carbon, as good as alcohol-free beers are now, if I'm not drinking beer, I drink tea when I'm at home because it's almost zero calories and much cheaper than alcohol-free beer. From Just Beer Barry at Just Beer Barry, I'm a big advocate of alcohol-free beers. There are some decent offerings now in comparison to, to years gone by, ideal for school nights and periods of abstinence. Dean Taylor, I never tried alcohol-free beers on my previous holidays from booze then found I was back into heavy drinking after a while. Rather than seeing alcohol-free as cheating during abstinence, it might be good practice for new habits that help me drink more responsibly after abstinence is over. From Neil Hayden at Neil Hayden 73 when I'm not on the beer, I won't even have an alcohol-free beer. So from Sunday to Thursday, it would be water, tea, milk or pop 
from Josh Howes at Joshua A. Howes. I would generally steer clear because my non-drinking days are for general health benefits rather than alcohol consumption specifically. And I don't think alcohol-free beers tend to be particularly healthy. I have enjoyed them occasionally though. So from Mark, Mark Johnson at Mark N. Johnson. I don't know why I say at Mark N. Johnson. Everyone knows where Mark Johnson is anyway. Why do I bother doing that? I don't see a problem if you enjoy them. Personally, I don't enjoy them enough to be able to justify the price of many over, say, any other alcohol-free beverage I, I enjoy. But they helped me cut back in January. From Katie at Doc Manaday, alcohol-free beer counts as not booze. I mainly opt for it at home if I'm eating something like a curry and want an appropriate accompaniment, but on a night off. And then from Bacallion at Bacallion UK, yep, it's okay and it's still beer. It's useful when driving or having dry days and want refreshment. Quality is very good now. And, and that seems to be a theme that came up time and time again, is that the quality of alcohol-free beers has improved massively over the last couple of years. I mean, certainly since we started doing the show, Martin, um, I think one of the very first episodes we did was a alcohol-free show, which you threatened to, 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 to leave as co-host if I ever suggested we did such a thing again. I know, um, and we've done it again. We have done it again, and I think we'll probably do it again. As, we as probably well, will. Because the beers continue to get better and better. Um, but loads, loads of great comments on that one this week. I know it wasn't exactly a poll, but we did still get a lot of feedback. So there will still be a link in the show note to that, that particular question. So if you want to have a look at all the responses, you can click through on that. If you want to carry on getting involved, you can use the hashtag opinions and you may very well find yourself in this next part of the show. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know your thoughts and bitter in lingerness. Write it down. So first from Johnny Beer Boy at Johnny Beer Boy, another top snippet lads and was great to hear the wide range of comments on Hollapalooza. I did have one of those moments where you stop and everything seems insane during this discussion on a beer podcast about how far a sneeze can travel though. <laughs> it's amazing what facts can do, isn't it? Uh, from Stu Chan at Chance Stu, just listened to the new show and a great series of polls and all with interesting comments. Steve, your thoughts on the health of the nation are something that I hadn't considered, but were absolutely spot on. From your boy, Rob Edwards, my first lesson with knowledge that Mark Johnson opens every show. It's so clear to me now. How do people not know that Mark Johnson opened our show? I'd, I don't know how people have missed that. I, I really don't. Um, Who do they think was doing it? Do they think you or I were doing it? Yeah, that's definitely not us. Um, no, but, definitely but not us. Just, just to clear that one up once and for all, the let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts is Mark Johnson at, at the beginning of the show. Um, it's been him since the end of 2016, I want to say. Yeah, for quite a while now. It's at least three years. Yeah. So, you know, and thank you very much, Mark, for doing that. So from Ronnie Bean, enjoyed listening to the show. Hearing you chatting about beer deliveries put me in mind to put order another box of beer. Cheers. From Will Watkins at Dry Your Beers. Just started this one. Disappointed it's taken Martin a whole 22 minutes to slip in the Liverpool title victory. If I'd had my way, it would have been in there in minute one. <laughs> and that's two weeks now you've had it mentioned as well. So, um, yes. <laughs> yeah. And for next week and the week after, no doubt. No, no doubt. Yeah, he's, he's going to ride this one for all it's worth. From Simon Clark at Simon Carbon. Great show, guys. Comprehensive coverage of the reopening situation. Totally agree with Martin's commentary. The pubs you really want to visit means using public transport. And that's not a prospect to relish right now. So from a listener of the show called Dr. Rob. Really enjoyed coming back to the show after a break. I'm an infectious disease doctor, so been a little busy. And love the new format. 
agree with so much what was said about reopening and from my perspective it's all about risk mitigation now the one point i don't quite agree with from the last episode was the comment about once a mask is off then there's no point in putting it back on in a pub setting masks are great at protecting others from you and further reduce the risk of transmission by wearing them when using the bathrooms or if you're going to the bar even if you don't wear one while sitting and drinking Dr. Rob did also send us a link to some actual facts as, as well as the, uh, on this one. Uh, and basically, there was a study done by the US National Library of Medicine, National Institutes of Health, where they looked at using um, face masks with a control group of multi-drug resistant TB patients. Uh, 69 of 90 control individuals became infected compared with 36 of 90 individuals representing a 56% decreased risk risk of TB transmission when patients used masks. The conclusion that was made that the surgical face mask on patients with multi-drug resistant TB significantly reduced transmission and offer an adjunct measure for reducing TB transmission from infectious patients. And then the final comment uh, this week from Richard Taylor at Richard Taylor, and this was answering the question that we asked our listeners last week about uh, cask beer. And, and, and do we think we're going to see a reduction in it? Uh, Rich was saying, and obviously Rich is the manager of the Vic in, in Colchester, which won't be opening until I think the end of the month. They're, they're yeah, they've got, they've got the end of July, haven't they? Yeah. Um, on cask beer, we'll be reducing our lines from five to three. This will reduce the amount of stock needed, which reduces the risk of wastage or the serving of poor quality beer. Unlike some pub clothes, we'll be buying in fresh local beer not adjusting the dates on older stock and uh just keep those thoughts coming keep using the hashtag opinions um let's get some final thoughts on these beers then if there's any left in the glasses nope. uh, no beer no? left okay well then you you go first with your final thoughts mate i mean for a 9.2 percent beer which is very much on a malt malt driven beer sweet it's still so drinkable. That little bit of uh, alcohol burn, I mean, I say alcohol burn is in very slight, more of a warming feel. It's just a beer you will come back to time and again. If someone had said, I'll top you up, do you mind? I would go, no, carry on. It's, it's, it's just so well balanced. And that, that lightness of touch in the body is what does it. They know how, the Belgians know how to do that lightness of touch. So it's not thin but it should feel thicker. If you look at that beer, you read the descriptor, it should have a much thicker mouthfeel, but it don't. So easy. I can, see, I can see how liquid bread became a phrase. Yeah, I'm going to, um, in, in terms of my beer, I'm going to jump in with the Chimay there. I would echo everything you've said in, in terms of this beer as well. Um, it does all of that as, as, as well. Um, it, it belies its 9%. Um, that, that it's got on the bottle there um, and yeah it is just really really drinkable and and it's got a lovely warming finish on it now as it's warmed up in in, in the glass some more as well so I've, I've really enjoyed drinking both of those uh, a little exploration into Belgium for us tonight mate um, Johnny what's the, the the final verdict on the Obadiah poundage well I think as it's as it's got slightly warmed up I had it you know I had it chilled and then and then i put it aside when we started so it warmed up a bit but it's now it's warmed up a bit more i'm getting a really kind of dried sour cherry note out of it and a, and a hint of smoke it's sort of complexity level has sort of has risen it's really fabulous i, I don't know about you steve but i'm really keen to try that beer now uh, me too i've been i've been like much like yourself when said earlier when is the right time to try it 
kind of feels like now is, is the time to try that. Not maybe yeah. this evening uh, after the, <laughs> the recording, but, but, but certainly now is the time to try that beer. I would say that we need to put, uh, you know, Steve and I do a bit of planning. I would say we put this on the schedule in the next three months as one of the beers yeah. we, we do. Well, we have our fourth birthday coming up in, in September. Why, why don't we maybe pencil it in for that day? Oh, I think that would be an excellent suggestion, actually. That would be a really good suggestion. And based on what we've got, Johnny's very extensive tasting notes now, which we can just crib and uh, take little bits out of. And hopefully no one will know that we've done that. It's great that we've all enjoyed these beers this evening. Uh, and that's probably bringing us uh, quite nicely towards the end of the show. Uh, Johnny, thank you for joining us as this week's guest drinker. Uh, where can folk find you and your work? Um, so my podcast is just the, the Beer Wrangler podcast on pretty much any podcast app or anything like that. Um, I teach courses um, at uh, South London Wine School. So we do beer and wine there. So yeah, Beer Wrangler or South London Wine School. I know it doesn't say beer in the name, but there you go. Um, that's where people can find me. And all of that will be linked through in the show notes so people can just click through and, and find you. Uh, Martin, what have we got coming up next week? Uh, content wise, I have no idea. However, I do know we have some more beers from Brew York, which have landed very recently. And I'm very excited about a couple of them, I have to admit. So am I. I'm 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 excited about the ones that we're we're featuring next week. I know one of them we've already spoken about very very highly, um, but I am very excited to actually try it on the podcast as as well. Oh, so, I'm uh, I'm excited to drink it any time any time I can. I've got yeah. to hold one can back so Michelle can have some, which is really annoying me right now. <laughs> it's it's so drinkable but let's not give too much away because we'll get on to that next week um all that's uh, left to say is once again thank you johnny for joining us this evening uh we'll be back next week cheers cheers guys cheers, cheers.